So at the high point of Tolkien's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, Sam Gamgee discovers that his friend Gandalf was not dead. And Sam cries out, I thought you were dead. <laughs> but then I thought I was dead myself. Then he says this. This is my favorite line in the entire series. Here it is. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Hmm. We've, we've wondered about that question, haven't we? Is everything sad going to come untrue? Will we see our loved ones in Christ again? Will we get our health back? Will our world ever be purged of evil? Gun violence. When are we going to stop hearing about tornadoes that just totally devastate towns? It's gone. You know that, don't you? That town's gone. When will my depression end? Oh, God, how long? Is, is everything sad going to come untrue? Well, we just heard an Advent reading today. That is good news. Because the reading answers those questions with a confident yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue. And somehow, somehow, our world will be greater for having once been broken and lost. One day, we will say, as Joseph said in Genesis 50, chapter 20, to his brothers, one day we will say, you meant this suffering to harm me, but God meant it for the good for the saving of many lives. Is, is our God so great that He is able to intend evil for the ultimate purpose of joy? Mysteriously, yes. I believe that. And embracing Jesus Christ offers profound joy in the face of suffering. The doctrine of Christmas that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that God the Son put on skin to seek and save the lost, and that He suffered and that His resurrected body lives. Yes, all of God's promises are yes in Christ. Jesus is joy. And our Advent text celebrates the joy of the one who accomplishes justice for the oppressed. He gives good food to the hungry. He releases us from the prison of our past. Jesus offers an otherworldly joy that cannot be stolen. Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection promises that we will get the life we most long for. And it will be an infinitely more glorious world than if there had never been the need for bravery, endurance, sacrifice, or salvation. I believe that. And furthermore, church family, throughout Scripture, and yes, throughout our lives, 
Jesus mercifully offers us tastes of promised joy. If we're paying attention, regularly God invites us to sample appetizers of joy. Appetizers of the promised main course. And every Sunday morning that we gather here, in worship and in word, every Sunday morning, it's just an opportunity to sample a taste of coming future eternal joy. And this morning, I'd like for us to sample some more joy. Are you, are you hungry for a little bit of joy today? Well, meet me in Nehemiah chapter 12. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 12. We're going to taste some joy. Nehemiah chapter 12 is a chapter about the celebration of indestructible joy. Now, we've been studying Nehemiah, and here's what we've learned. Nehemiah is ethnically Hebrew. He's a senior official called a cupbearer, kind of the director of the king's security forces. He's a senior official who served King Artaxerxes in the Persian Empire around the year 455 B.C. And God called Nehemiah to Jerusalem to rebuild its ruins. Now, the temple had been rebuilt, but the city walls had not been. It, they were, it was still rubble, and the city had not been populated when Nehemiah came. And so he comes and rebuilds the city wall. And Nehemiah 12 is the dedication of this newly rebuilt wall. And it's a festive party. It's a celebration. In fact, you could say that Nehemiah chapter 12 is the high point of the entire book. It's the reason why the book has been, has been written. In Nehemiah 12, there's a planned, rehearsed, and then... Uh, joyfully executed celebration with laughter and fun and hope and people walk away from that party with two unmistakable truths this is who God is and this is who we are God is sovereign and we know our God's sovereignty and our identity and that's what we're going to see in Nehemiah 12 now what I want to do is read portions of Nehemiah chapter 12 and I want to just get we'll cover the entire chapter but I want to I want to read the narrative portion of Nehemiah 12 so that you can see and feel the celebration on this wall and so I'm going to read starting in verse 27 Nehemiah 12 27 says at and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem they sought the Levites in all their places, to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. Look at verse 30 now. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up 
unto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and Ezra the scribe went before them. Now jump to verse 37. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And now jump to verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. Now, church family, in many ways, um, chapter 12, verse 43, describes my job as your pastor. To help us seek supreme joy. You know, when we leave these doors here, within the hour, we're going to be blitzed by voices who will want to sell us their version of joy. But joy is not for sale. Joy is an outcome of an act of God. That's joy. Joy is a consequence of the Holy Spirit's leadership in our lives. And we'll never change the world around us until the Holy Spirit has changed the world within us. And I came here to tell you that we were created to crave joy from on high. That's high protein joy. Mm. Too often we gorge, or at least we're offered to gorge, on cotton candy joy. It's just a temporary hit and then a big crash. And we try to get that through entertainment. We pay actors and comedians and musicians and professional athletes big money for that temporary hit. And what I want for us, church family, what I want for your family and your marriage and your heart and your life and your children and our grandchildren, what I want is for us to desire. It, the problem is not desiring joy. It's, it's, it, it, too often we chase after cheap joy. And what I want is for us to desire supreme joy. Supreme, and, and, and what I mean is this. Listen to me. What I mean is this. I want us to be happy. 
I want us to be happy. Now, listen, when I say I desire an oatmeal cookie, I do not mean I want to be an oatmeal cookie. Okay? So, so happiness is not desiring to be an object. Happiness is the experience from an object. And I want us to experience supreme happiness and supreme joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, sin is more than law-breaking or rule-breaking. Sin is not desiring supreme happiness. And sin is seeking supreme happiness in anything other than Jesus. I like the person who said, Your greatest pleasure is the measure of your greatest treasure. So I want us to understand this big idea this morning. It's simply this. There is no stronger joy than the joy of God in Christ. There's no stronger joy than the joy of God in Christ. And I take that from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 12, which has this beautiful verse. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You will be strengthened and fortified for endurance and perseverance and celebration by the joy of the Lord. There is no stronger joy than the joy of God in Christ. And that's what we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 12. Nehemiah is about Nehemiah 12 is about joy situated in God's larger joy that will affect your joy. And so our, our message today has three movements. Uh, I want to zoom in on chapter 12 and talk about Nehemiah's joy. And then I want to zoom out and consider God's uh, broader story of joy. And then I want to talk about your joy. Nehemiah's joy, God's joy, your joy. That's where we're going this morning. Well, let's talk about Nehemiah's joy. And that's in verse 27. Uh, look at the word dedication. You see that word in verse 27? The word dedication means to set apart. Uh, it, to, to set apart for a specific purpose. So the temple of Jerusalem in the city of Jerusalem housed the Hebrew people. All of this existed for the glory and the fame of God. So Jerusalem was dedicated to be an embassy of Yahweh on earth. And at this dedication... Uh, Nehemiah had two huge choirs recruited. And I want you to take a look at this picture here of Nehemiah's Jerusalem. And at the far left bottom corner of uh, the screen is where two huge choirs, I don't know how they got up on top of that wall, but they did. And they began to march around the city on top of the wall. There's the next slide. And one group took one portion on top of the wall. Keep in mind, the wall's width was probably 9, 10 feet wide. And so crowds got up on top of this wall, and half took one route, and half took the other route, and they, they, was, they kind of sang. It was like an antiphonal experience. And the crowds on the streets below uh, kind of followed them along as they all made their way up to the temple 
Mount. So they were on their journey up to the Temple Mount. And these two masses of humanity gathered thousands of people on each side, singing and playing and praising and celebrating. Nehemiah 12 is no grand opening for the sake of business. It's a grand adoration for the sake of God. It's a moving, dynamic, spiritual jamboree in honor of the Lord who had resurrected a dead city. So a little over a year before, the city was like a ghost town. But my, what a difference a year makes. And did you notice in verse 43, five times the word joy is used. God made them rejoice with great joy. And Jerusalem's joy was heard far away. Can you detect a winsome evangelistic side to joy? Joy is the outcome of good news. Well, this week I learned something new. I learned that there is a psalm that includes the lyrics of some of the songs they sang on top of that wall. Uh, Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 147. Actually, um, our Advent reading in Psalm 146 uh, also is related to what happened on the wall. Psalms 146 and 147 are psalms that were written uh, in the time of Nehemiah. And so, for instance, in Psalm 147, this is beautiful psalm that has three commands. Praise the Lord, Psalm 147, verse 1. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, Psalm 147, verse 7. And then in Psalm 147, verse 12, praise the Lord, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. And then, so these three stanzas, each beginning with this command to sing or praise, Then below that, it's like, well, here's why we need to do that. And do you notice the Lord or God is the subject of every one of those verbs. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. The Lord gathers the outcasts of Israel. The Lord heals. The Lord binds up. The Lord determines. The Lord gives. Uh, In verses 10 and 11, it says that God is not impressed Uh, by the military might of the Persian army. He's not impressed with Persia's cavalry or infantry. That's the reference to the strength of the horse or the, 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 the legs of a warrior. But rather, what impresses the Lord? Look at verse 11. You see that? But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Oh, and then look at verses 13 and 14. It says that God strengthens the bars of your gates. You see how that ties in to what's going on in our text in Jerusalem? And then there's this beautiful verse in verse 19. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. So even though Israel remained a vassal state of Persia, Her mission remains, and her mission is to teach God's truth even to the empire that is over it. 
And the psalmist concludes, praise the Lord. <laughs> so he says, see, there, no wonder there's a party in Jerusalem. Don't you see it? It's, it, it this little story is about a big sep, uh, celebration, about a great big God who is over all and through all and in all. Is your God that big? Let me get personal here, right here, right now. When trouble comes, you need a song. You, you need a psalm to pray. You need to speak the word of God to be reminded that God is God. God is God. Your situation's not God. God's God. Your suffering's not God. God is God. Your mate is not God. God is God. Your children are not God. God is God. Your boss is not God. God is God. Your doctor is not God. God is God. Your teachers and classmates, they're not God. God is God. God is God. And, and, and Nehemiah chapter 12 is a snapshot of a point in time when God's people get it. They get it that God is God and they know and they sing and they feel and they walk as if God is God and he's in control. And because because they know who God is, they know who they are. And right now there is a world that wants to construct for you an identity. And Nehemiah chapter 12 says we are recipients of his word and his word not our world not our past not our parents and not even our hearts his word defines who we are and that is something to have a party about so some of you right here right now you you need to set aside your work and celebrate you need to throw a party you have permission to throw a party this afternoon okay. i mean you finished your finals you finished your last chemotherapy. You finished your final radiation. You finished the last semester of your program. You made it through the first semester of teaching. You made it through. God helped you make it through. It's time to celebrate. Celebrate. And, and notice, notice here from the text. It's a planned celebration. So it was scheduled. So Nehemiah 12, they didn't just wake up that morning and say, hey, let's throw a party. No, they said, let's put this on the calendar. Let's schedule this. Let's prioritize this. Choirs rehearsed. Lyrics were written and memorized. Instruments were played. They dedicated time to the celebration of God's faithfulness. Oh, God, we would not be here without you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And I can't help but imagine what was going on through Nehemiah's head in verse 38. I just, I just love this verse. This, this few words in verse 38. It says, And I followed them. So this whole thing is not being driven by some celebrity personality of Nehemiah. Okay? Yes, Nehemiah had his initiating responsibilities, but here back in 38 we see... Nehemiah followed them. So what's going on is, is, is Nehemiah is watching these two choirs make their route up the city wall toward the temple, and he's just looking back, and he's just seeing all of this. And he's got to be just 
kind of shaking his head in, in uh, just awe of God. How did you do this, God? How did you do this? You know, the last time Nehemiah did a circuit ride around the city, it was by moonlight. It was an undercover ride to inspect the city's broken past. But now, in broad daylight, with repaired walls, he just hung back and marveled at the God who called him from the palace of Persia. Oh God, I am so grateful that you sent Hanani. And I'm so grateful that he told me about this brokenness and I'm so glad that you put this burden on my heart and I'm so glad that you gave me the strength to be patient and to wait and I'm so glad that you made a way provisions and supplies and human resources thank you God there is no safer place to be than in the joy of God and here's the deal here's the deal get this Nehemiah had no guarantee that it was all going to turn out well we read this on the other side don't we But Nehemiah didn't know for sure how it was going to turn out. And he did not have a vision from God. He didn't have a dream. There's no mysterious encounter here. He was just a man who was immersed in the word of God. And he had a heart for God. And he just did his best to do the next wise thing. So when told about Jerusalem's plight, he grieved. He fasted, he prayed, and he waited. And he prepared for an opportunity at an unknown time. And then he came to Jerusalem. And then he did an inspection by moonlight. And then after that, he gathered the community. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? This place is in ruins. Let us rise up and build. What do you want to do? And then he organized the work. And then he faced external setbacks. And then he faced internal setbacks. And then he faced personal setbacks. He, he, fa- he faced, uh, faced personal threats. And this is one day at a time. And I wonder how many times he went to bed thinking, God, this could go either way. This could go either way, but I know that you're in control. And I just want you to remember me. I'm trying to follow your will as best as I know how. And I don't know how it's going to turn out, but God, I know you know how it's going to turn out. I trust you. Listen to me. If you are expecting God to give you your entire life's program, (laughs) it's not going to happen. I mean, you're going to be disappointed. God typically does not give us specific guidance in our sometimes perplexing decisions. And you know why? I've come to the conclusion that the reason why is that he he places a higher priority on transformation than information. He wants you to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And he wants me as well. And so God has a design for the difficulty of our discerning. And that that design is to change your heart, to change your affections. If he made his will for our specific decisions more explicit, more often, then we would likely focus more on what we do rather than what we love. 
and we'd be just like those legalistic Pharisees. And we'd focus more on our actions than our affections. Jesus says, I want your heart. And I want your heart to be full of joy. I've come that your joy might be complete. So, So then Jesus says, you be faithful in the little things, and I'll put you in charge of many things. So faithfully, whatever it is that's on your plate right now, you faithfully do the next right thing that is before you right now. You be who you ought to be when nobody's looking. Do your homework. Prepare. Execute to the very best of your God-gifted ability and then trust. Trust. This is what we call farming. Right? God gives the growth. God gives the growth. And we know, we, we know that Romans 8, 28 says that in all things God works for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And we know, Romans 12, that his purposes are good, pleasing, and perfect. So he didn't know the entirety of it, but he knew who did. And man, that, that's enough. That's enough. And Nehemiah's joy in chapter 12 just uh, becomes God's greater joy as we think about Nehemiah 12, and the entire storyline of the Bible. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I read from verses 27 down, but glance back up in your scriptures to verses 1 through 26. You're going to see names of Levites and priests. Jeshua, Benui, Kadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, Mataniah. This, this, is, this list is the fifth of five genealogies in Nehemiah. And so that's that's an important thing to note. So a genealogy means that these are real people who lived real lives in real history. And it's more than just a roster of priests who lead worship. So it's a genealogy. It's a timeline. It's a lineage. And in fact... This lineage here in chapter 12 with these names, they go all the way back 500 years to King David. King David. So so what's, what's happening is not just about the celebration of the dedication of the wall there and then. It's about a bigger picture. There's a bigger story. There's a bigger joy. There's a larger destiny that's going on. These names constitute no less than a 500 year dynasty. Because that's what a genealogy is. It's a dynasty. It's a record of a dynasty going all the way back to King David. King David, who was the quintessential king of Israel. Even with David's failures, 
The scripture calls him a king after God's own heart. And he is as close as Israel gets to God's vision for humanity as his royal image bearers. David emerges as Israel's consummate warrior, poet, king, of whom God said, you will not build for me a house because you know David wanted to build a temple for God. God said, no, you're not going to. Your son will. You won't. You're not going to build for me a house. I'm going to build for you a house. I'm going to build a dynasty for you. And so Nehemiah 12 is about the God who keeps his promises. Because you see in verses 45 and 46 and 47, we see names like David and Asaph and Solomon. And, and that's like a language saying, this is who we are. The Babylonians want us to be Babylonian. And now the Persians want us to be Persian. Pretty soon it's going to be the Greeks and then the Romans. We belong to God. We are blessed to be a blessing. We're a kingdom of priests. This is who we are. And 450 years later, after Nehemiah chapter 12, near Jerusalem, some shepherds were watching their flocks by night. And suddenly, the night sky split. And you talk about a choir. You talk about singing. You talk about angel singers, a host who trumpeted glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those to whom he is pleased. Behold, your king comes. The genealogy of Nehemiah 12 means that God is on the move. He's moving toward a goal and the goal is to proclaim the joy of the God who goes after people who are far away from him. God does not write people off. He doesn't. Not the God of this Bible. And he doesn't keep a ledger of who's naughty and nice. No, this God in Nehemiah points us to the greater Nehemiah. The greater Nehemiah will leave his celestial palace to the ruins of this earth. And in his birth and life and death and resurrection, Jesus will rebuild and restore all that is broken in our world. And in our Advent text, did you hear John the Baptist? John the Baptist is in prison. And you talk about a dark moment. And it won't get better for him. He won't leave that prison. He will be beheaded. But he asks, are you the one? Are you the one? And Jesus says, you go and tell John. Tell him what you're seeing. Tell him what you're hearing. Tell them the blind are receiving their sight. Tell them that people who could not walk are walking. Tell them that leprosy is being cleansed and the dead are raised and the poor have good news through them. You tell them that and you tell them, blessed is anyone who does not take offense at me. Yes, I am the one who is to come, Jesus. Hallelujah. And Nehemiah chapter 12, see, is a link in the chain of of God's big story of joy. And this celebration is a taste of coming joy. Future joy. Joy in the flesh. Jesus. Jesus. Nehemiah's joy. God's joy. And now, let's talk about your joy.
You want some high protein joy. Where will you choose to get your joy? Verse 43 says that the joy was heard from far away. Oh my goodness, how contagious that is. I, I couldn't help but think of Zechariah 8.23. Write this down. Zechariah 8.23 speaks about people from all languages and nations that take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. What a thing if our community would say that about us. Huh? Oh, man. Let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. A lot, lot of sermons warn against following the crowd. Nehemiah 12 tells you about a crowd you're going to want to follow because this crowd is making its way up to the temple. It was the temple that took uh, you know, uh, uh, nearly a century to rebuild. And then centuries later, this temple would be visited by Mary and Joseph when they dedicated the baby Jesus. And then this temple would be visited by the boy Jesus when he was 12, who would say to worried and bewildered parents, don't I have to be about my father's business? And then at the temple site, Jesus himself would declare, I am the temple. I am the temple. You destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. The temple of his body. And I came here today to invite you to get up on that wall and walk with those who follow God, who will say, who will say, the God who will say, I'm the meeting place. You want to meet God? You've got to get to him through me. I am the culmination of David's dynasty. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is salvation in no one else, for it is only through the name of Jesus that we can be saved. Jerusalem's true king, Yahweh. Do you know him? Do you? All of us are asking questions here. Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Where is this world going? And those questions have answers in Jesus Christ. And it is joy in Jesus to which you are being invited to enter. Joy over what he's done. Joy over what he's doing. Joy over what he will do. What kind of joy do you want? Joy from below, temporary, or joy from on high? True joy is more than just a temporary emotional high. It's a lifestyle. It's not the result of the things that are happening around me. It's a sturdy peace that I bring to the things around me that changes the way I think about and interact with them. True joy is vertical. It results from being in a personal relationship with the creator and ruler of the universe and resting in his plan for the world. True joy is rooted in the belief that God's word is reliable and accurate. True joy trusts that God is working his unstoppable wise plan and he will not relent until his will has finally been done. True joy recognizes that God's victory is my victory, our victory. And true joy looks to God and rests in him even though things at the moment may be confounding and hard. True joy has a name. 
Jesus.